Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church. Hello there. Jesus wrote seven letters to seven churches. We call it the book of Revelation, but it starts off as seven letters to seven specific churches in seven cities. We're going to look at these because at the end of each letter, he says, let the person who has ears hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So he's speaking to all of us through these letters, and we are going to gain some words straight from the mouth of Jesus. So in Revelation 2, verse 1, the first one, he says, To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. That is an unusual verse. <laughs> Jesus is speaking and he says to the angel of the church in Ephesus. So it's a real city. Uh, and then he describes himself. These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. The reason he's saying that is because in chapter 1, just before this, when John first heard from Jesus, he saw him in a vision and he was standing in the midst of seven lampstands. So they're, they're poles with a light on the top that's shining brightly. And Jesus is shining brightly and he's holding seven stars in his right hand. And so Jesus is describing himself, an aspect of his character, in chapter 1, there's actually quite a lot more of a description. And in each of the seven churches, Jesus takes a portion of the description of himself and uses it to introduce himself to that church. Because each church sees a part of Jesus and displays a part of Jesus. And when all seven are together, then we see the full picture. But he starts off speaking to the church in Ephesus. Now, Ephesus was a city in Asia Minor, which is now Turkey. And it was the place in Acts chapter 18 and 19 where Paul went in, Priscilla and Aquila were helping him. He started a church. He was there for three years. It says that the whole province of Asia heard the word of the Lord because of those two and a half years or three years that Paul was preaching in a rented school room in Ephesus. And then this church became quite an influential church in the early days. So this is written in 95 AD. Um, Paul went there probably in the 60s or late 50s AD. So this is about 30 or 40 years after Paul planted the church in Ephesus. And in that time, Paul has left. He sent Timothy back. Then Timothy left. Then John, who's writing this letter, was the pastor of Ephesus for a while. Then he was taken into captivity and Timothy was the pastor again. And Mary, Jesus's mother, lived in Ephesus for a while until she died. It was a very influential city. The book of Ephesians was written to it. One and two Timothy were written to it. Various letters were written from it. And the book of Revelation was written to it. So Ephesus was an important city in the region, but Globally, it wasn't that important. Athens was much more important. Rome was much more important. There were many cities that were bigger and more important. And you would have thought if God was going to write the last book of the Bible, uh, he would have chosen a city that was more influential. But he chose Ephesus and a few little cities around it, six other cities. 
And there were many other cities around there which had churches in them, but he just picked seven and he gave us the letter of Revelation. So to the angel of the church in Ephesus, let me just address this word angel. It's the Greek word angelos, which is also translated messenger. So in Matthew, Mark and Luke, it speaks about John the Baptist and it says that God will send his messenger, his angelos, John the Baptist, ahead of Jesus. In Luke chapter 7, it says that John then sent some of his disciples, his messengers, his angelos, to go and speak to Jesus. In Luke chapter 9, it says Jesus sent his messengers ahead of him into cities, his disciples, angelos. Again, in James chapter 2, it says that when Rahab in the Old Testament received the spies or the messengers of the Israelites that came across the Jordan, it's the word angelos. So it's sometimes used, often used to speak of angels in heaven, but it is also used to speak of people. And at the end of chapter 1 of Revelation, we're told that the seven stars in Jesus's right hand are the seven angelos or messengers of the churches. Now, I believe in many um, Bible interpreters, in fact, some versions of the Bible say messenger instead of angel there. But I believe these are the pastors, the, the main leaders. You know, in Bible times, there were elders leading churches. It was a, a plurality of leadership. There was a, a team of leaders called elders, which are also called shepherds also called overseers, also called pastors. This elder role, there was a group of them, but there was, I believe, always one leader who was the messenger, the main preacher, but he was one of many. And so in Acts chapter 15, when the church is trying to make a, a difficult decision, they hear from so many different people and opinions, and they listen and they pray. And then at the end, James Jesus's brother says, this is the decision. This is what we're going to do because there was one leader, but a plurality of leadership. So to the angel or the messenger of the church of Ephesus, right? Now, why is this all important? Because churches and church structures can be boring ideas and concepts in our mind. We can think, oh, yes, church, 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 the old-fashioned traditional church. Okay, I'm not interested in that. I don't care about leadership. I don't care about churches. But I want you to see that when Jesus writes to the area of Asia Minor, and when he gives John a vision of himself, he doesn't show him a map of the area with the economics or the geography or the traffic or the terrain. He shows him a picture of himself, Jesus, standing blazing like the sun. And there are seven lampstands, which are the seven churches. And he's holding seven stars, seven messengers, leaders in his hands. And then John falls down at Jesus' feet and he takes the hand which has the seven stars and he puts it on John as if to say, you're also one of my stars, one of my leaders, because God looks at things from a different perspective than we do. And if we can change our mindset and start to see the world the way God does, it will help us to live the way God wants us to live. And God is involved and interested in economics and uh, all the, the facets of life. He really is. But he's more concerned about salvation of people's souls and he's using leaders and churches to do that. You know, we at Leading Lights have taken this idea of leaders being stars. In, in Daniel chapter 12, it says, those who lead many to righteousness 
will shine like the stars forever. And we've taken this idea to say we want to raise up leaders all around the world who will lead churches in a godly, humble way, servant leaders. And churches and church leadership and the way churches are structured with individual churches. These churches were close to each other geographically, these seven churches. Um, they, they weren't that far apart. It was an area about the size of Greater London. And yet God had different messages for each of the seven churches. He showed a different part of his character to each one. And they had a different mission. And he knew what was going on in each church. And we need to realize churches, lampstands, Jesus shining in the middle. Uh, all of this is part of God's perspective on the world and church is important and church leaders are important and the way we structure churches and the way we listen to God's voice is important as coming through bodies of believers. You know there has been this saying in a city some people say there's not many churches in the city there's just one church. Yes I get that that is true we are one in Christ but there were seven different lampstands in this area and God wants local churches with a local flavor and displaying a part of the calling that God has given them. And he has a message for each church. And so we are not all one church. We are one in Christ. But God wants individual local churches to obey and to be shining lampstands. So let me move on. Revelation 2 verse 1. To the messenger, the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. Jesus says this to every church. So all seven follow a pattern. It starts off with him saying to the angel of the church, and then he gives a, an, a picture, an aspect of his character that is part of the picture from Revelation 1 uh, of Jesus. He shows a different part of himself to each church. But then he says to every single one, I know your works. And what Jesus is saying here is I'm intimately involved and aware and interested in what's going on. In one of the churches, he mentions people by name. Uh, he is so involved and invested in the local church and he cares and he's speaking. He's speaking to churches. Even now, my friend, he is speaking to churches and he says, I know your works, your labor. Whenever they served God, whenever they gave, whenever they went out of their way, whenever they helped people, whenever they stayed up late, all the different labors that were happening in the church, Jesus says to the church in Ephesus, I know, I know. Friend, that's a word for you. If you've served the Lord and you thought nobody knew, you thought it was a waste of time, you thought, am I crazy doing this when I could be doing something else more enjoyable, having more fun, relaxing, enjoying my life. Jesus says, I know. I know your labor. He says, I know your patience or your perseverance. They've kept going from the, the, the decades since Paul had planted the church. They'd kept going. Perseverance or patience is the same word. They had kept going. They hadn't given up. They were strong in perseverance. And that you cannot bear those who are evil. You've tested those who say they're apostles and are not and have found them liars. They had been able to discern truth and 
and avoid deceivers and error. You know, when Paul left Ephesus in Acts 20, he said to the elders, even from among your own number, some will rise up to draw people away from the truth. And the church in Ephesus had taken that seriously and they had tested those who said they were apostles and are not. Just a, an aside note, this shows that apostle in the New Testament is not just the original 12 or 13, if you want to include Paul. It, it's not just that. There are many apostles. And he says here, you've tested those who say they are apostles and are not. This church was good on truth. They were good on works. They were good on perseverance. They were stable and strong. Verse 3, you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Wow, amazing. Well done, church. He says, You've, you are strong in works and in staying the course. But then he says, nevertheless, I have this against you, that you've left your first love. Now, this is Jesus speaking to the messenger of the church, which is another reason why I don't believe it's a, an angelic being, because he's, he's rebuking them. He says, you've left your first love. And it's the messenger and the whole church have left their first love. In other words, they knew how to do the right things, but it was coming out of a place of perhaps habit, perhaps tradition, perhaps fear or duty or religiousness, but it wasn't coming out of passion and love. You know, when a, first, a person first becomes a Christian, they come to God with nothing to offer. They realize they cannot be saved on their own. They realize they need forgiveness. They realize they, they have no good works to offer Jesus. There's that old hymn, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. When a person becomes a Christian, they receive grace. And the result of grace, the result of this free washing and blessing from God and forgiveness is gratitude and passion and joy and love. Worship just pours out of you. This first love pours out of you when you first become a Christian because you realize I have contributed nothing to my salvation. And he says here, you Christians in Ephesus are going through the motions, but you've lost your first love. And then in verse five, he says, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Remember what it was like when you first loved Jesus. What were you like? Did you know much of the Bible? No, you didn't. Did you have many works that you could point to and say, look at all the good things I've done? No, you didn't. Had you still got sins in your life that you were battling to overcome? Yes, you did. But you understood grace and you loved God because you were humble. He says, remember from where you have fallen. Remember what it was like when you had first love. Repent. Repent means to turn around and change your mind and break your heart and say, God, I'm sorry that I've allowed a hard crust to form over my heart and over my mind. I'm sorry that I've become proud and I've thought that maybe I was good enough because I was doing all these things. God, I'm sorry. Remember, repent and do the first works or redo what you did at the start. Fall on your knees before God. It's as if you're becoming a Christian again for the first time and say, God, I have nothing. All my good works and track record and all the things that I've built up as a Christian mean nothing, Lord. I just need you. And then grace floods in. When we humble ourselves, he gives grace, James chapter 4 says. But when we are proud, he resists us. And Jesus speaks strongly here. 
He says, do the first works or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Wow. Why did he say that? Because Jesus is not so much concerned about a church that looks good, that looks good on the outside. He wants genuine love and passion. Another way of understanding this would be a married couple who after 20, 30, 40 years of marriage had learned to act married, but they no longer had passion within themselves. And Jesus says, I don't really care so much about all those outward things, although they are important. I want to know what's in your heart. What's the motive? What's the passion? And if you don't, I'm going to take away your lampstand. And this shows us that it's Jesus that plants lampstands and removes them. You know, Christians will remain, the genuine Christians in Ephesus, if Jesus had removed that lampstand, they would have remained and God would have sorted them out with another church or whatever. But God says, I don't want a church that represents me badly to the world. And so there are times where God says, I'm taking my glory away, my blessing away. I'm, I'm removing this lampstand. And it's a genuine warning for us. Verse 6, but this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Now, the Nicolaitans are mentioned in this and in other churches. And it was a heresy. There was a group of people. We don't exactly know who Nicholas was or why they were called the Nicolaitans, but they had a belief structure and it was a, a teaching that was wrong and they acted wrong because wrong teaching always leads to wrong living. And so you can tell if teaching is wrong because the living is wrong and you can tell when living is wrong that there's something wrong with the teaching. And he says, um, this you have, you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Notice that Jesus hates the deeds but he doesn't hate the people. And he mentions them as the Nicolaitans rather than mentioning them by name. We have this in, in a later church letter as well, where he talks about a woman called Jezebel. It's very unlikely that her name really was Jezebel. Jesus and Paul and everyone who writes in the New Testament are very reluctant to name people by name, but they speak against the deeds the wrong teachings or the group of people without naming them by name because reviling a person, assassinating their character is not what God does. And in fact, he says it's a terrible sin. And so Jesus says, these deeds, these actions of the Nicolaitans, I hate. I love them, but I hate what they're doing. And you also hate them. And we can learn a lot from this. We must never hate people. But we can stand against things that are wrong and we discern them as wrong, not to say we are better, but to say, I don't want that in my life. And it's a fine line, that distinction between thinking we're better and acting all proud or rather just saying that is something that I don't want. But by the grace of God, I, I, I'm not there. It could have been me. I'm not judging you. I could have easily fallen into that. But God's grace has kept me safe. But I don't want that thing. That's discerning and that's hating the deeds without hating the people. But we've got to be careful of saying God loves the sinner but hates the sin because the sin can affect the sinner and cause them to lose their salvation or not find God. So it, there's a fine balance here. We can't just say, yes, everything's okay. We've got to say there are certain deeds that are not good, but I'm going to love the people because I don't want that sin to destroy them or to destroy me. 
Can you see how Jesus is so intimately involved? He knows the teaching. He knows the people. He knows the leaders. He knows what they're going through. He reveals a part of his character because that's the part that they display to the world. Ephesus, he says, um, I am the one who stands amongst the golden lampstands and I hold the seven stars because Ephesus was the first church in the region. And he it's almost like the lead church in that region, the main church. And he says, look, I'm the one who stands here. And then in verse seven, again, we have something that is said to every church, all seven. He says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Listen to all these messages to all the churches. But you've got to have an ear to hear, to hear what the Spirit says. In other words, I've got to block out the competing noise and distractions and other voices and other ideas that would say, no, no, it's all about what the world says is important. Fear this, uh, run after this pleasure, whatever. I've got to listen to the still small voice of the Spirit and say, Lord, I want to hear what you have to say to the churches and to me, because God is speaking. Friend, can I challenge you today? Are you in a church? Does it have a leader who preaches God's word and who's hearing from God? Has Jesus spoken a message like this to you recently? Where he says, I love you. I know what's going on in your life. I'm with you. I reveal my character to you. But there may be some things that are not helpful and, and which will harm you. And I need to warn you about these. And he brings you back. And it's an ongoing relationship with Jesus amongst a family of fellow believers where we are called to a mission to display God's love and his character to the community around us. And then lastly, he says to him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Again, to all seven churches, he says to him who overcomes because overcoming is important. Overcoming is something that Jesus says, doesn't matter what church you're in, it doesn't matter what Christian life you've had or who you are, if you love Jesus, you must learn to overcome. 1 John 5 says, whoever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. We've got to be overcomers. Overcomers are so important that he repeats it again and again and again. So let me summarize. He reveals a part of himself. He speaks to the leader of the church who then shares it with the whole church. He gives a, a message showing that he knows what's going on in their life. He speaks intimately about details in their church life. He gives them guidance. He says, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. And he says, to him who overcomes. Now, God is speaking to us today. You may be in this position. You may say, I need to renew my first love. I need God to, to revive me again. Or it may be that you need to say, I need to come back to the church uh, again. Maybe I've wandered away from God and his people and a leader has hurt me or something has gone wrong. God says, I'm here in the midst of the lampstands. Can I just share with you a perspective here? When God looks at your city or your region, the shining lights are what show up on the map of your region. The one shining light is the leader of the church, the star. But that's not as bright 
as the lamp, which is even brighter. You know, at night when you look up, if there's a, a street light and there's stars in the sky, you will see the street light as brighter than the stars. So the stars, then the lamp, which is your church, is shining bright. But then the brightest thing of all, and the thing which gives everything else light, is Jesus. The brightest thing of all is Jesus. Let me read to you what John saw in Revelation 1. Um, he said, I turned to see the voice that spoke, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. In the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet, girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as, as if refined in a furnace. His voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was like the sun, shining in its strength. Can you see the levels of brightness? His head and hair are white like, well, that's bright, that's shining. He's shining. His face is shining like the sun in its brightness, but his eyes, even out of the brightness of the sun, John could see his eyes shining like blazing flames of fire. They were even brighter. Can you see the levels of brightness? And Jesus is looking at you. You know, he was a baby gentle Jesus in a manger, but he grew into a man. He died on a cross. He went to the grave and he rose again and he rose up to heaven. And he is now this glorious Jesus. He loves you. He's intimately aware of what's going on in your life. He wants to speak to you today. Listen to his voice. If you have an ear to hear, say, Lord, what are you saying to me today? And I suspect one of the things is he's saying, how is your passion, that fire within you, that first love? And we get it back by getting the grace of God back in our lives. We're no longer relying on our good works or how long we've been a Christian. We say, Lord, I need you. And he floods in with forgiveness, with healing, with power. Lord Jesus, thank you for restoring us to our first love. Thank you for reinvigorating us and giving us your fire again. And thank you, Lord, that you are speaking and that you love us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Please consider supporting this ministry by making a donation on the giving page at leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.